You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we're right here on Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. This is an Atlanta Legacy Habitat Heroes podcast. And we are excited to bring you another timely podcast oh, about know. basically, so we've gone through kind of a whole series, I guess three different ones now. This is number three. This is number three. Yep. I, I'm trying to remember what our podcast was last week because we did the we did the betting. Oh, we did cover. We did bottlenecks. Oh, yeah. I and then it. we did the hunter wrap ups or we, the we did hunt a, wrap the, ups last the week. Success. Last yeah. Week. To kind of tie into that. Yeah. But then this is another one that kind of, and we're no. It's November 18th right now. Recording yeah. this will release November 20th. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Um, hopefully you enjoy some time with family and friends. Um, or if you don't, you get out in the woods. Yep. <laughs> um, it's family. We got it. <laughs> and so this one is kind of that mid-November, which for most part, mid-November uh, across most of the Midwest and, and other places is kind of that peak rut, uh, kind of a combination of things. You look at peak rut. And you say, okay, peak rut means the the lockdown phase because that's when bucks are with does, so they're not moving a bunch. But then also, you look at it like here in Missouri and Arkansas and Tennessee, I think, and I know Kentucky, Virginia. gun season has been opened. Yep. And so a Illinois, lot of hunters have been Michigan. in the woods, and deer are now getting more pressured. Yep. And so because they're more pressured, they're not moving till dark, and they're hanging in little bitty pockets or they're just hanging in bedding areas and thickets and they're just trying to keep their head low and uh, that's really what happens a lot here in uh, Missouri because ours is and Arkansas as well our gun season when it opens up it is like prime time November 10th November 12th November 14th it's notoriously known when you just think about it it's just the the orange army comes out and it's time for Pressure deer. Well, uh, like uh, the totals that Missouri Department of Conservation shared, was that just Saturday or was that Sunday? That was Sunday, too. Sunday, yeah. It was 99,000 deer were, were harvested 
um, between Saturday and Sunday, opening or opening weekend. Reported of harvested. <laughs> great, great. Yes, reported harvested um, within the state of Missouri. So that's a lot of deer, a lot of hunters out there. So that's great. Which that's is fantastic weird thing. because that's five thousand more than last year. It said correct. I think that's what it's, it was. Yes, five thousand more than last year. Ninety-four thousand. Fantastic weather. Oh, it we it had was that sixteen degrees that morning. Deer were gonna move. Yes, but yes. the other thing is, we had a humongous. I guess it was really spotty. Um, but we had the acorn crop that mm-hmm. was one of the biggest ones I've ever seen on the family farm and in that area. And so you'd think that that deer harvest would be way down because deer were in the woods and gun hunters were sitting in the fields and or most of them, and and you would think that harvest was going to be down, but it was actually youth season was down 5,000 um, opening or on during the two days, the weekend of youth season. I but think then, that was a 26th, 27th, something like that of October. Yeah, and then um, opening weekend was up 5,000, so it kind of equaled out. Um, but it definitely was a great opening weekend for the weather-wise, but because they, they of right. it being opening weekend, November 10th, um, by the time it's it's November 18th, so eight days of, of hunting, um, deer are starting to get pressured, especially if you're not paying attention to where you're entering and exiting, you're not watching your wind. Um, this is a, a thing that my brother and I talked about just today of the old days, and I, I guess you and I even talked about it walking out of church. Um, the old days was the last weekend we did deer drives because mm-hmm. you had to like push them out of the cover. Oh yeah, um, I it, know you're in there. Yeah, <laughs> it was so. Come on out. It was so. Uh, I mean, we called it the Mojave Desert. Yeah. Um, and so you know th- that just really all that going into effect of peak breeding, peak pressure. You could you should say, and uh, therefore we have very. Uh, very nocturnal deer and so we get into this time of the year mid-november and i've had a couple messages come through on my personal page that people asking kind of where to hunt what what strategy are we using and and it really goes with playing into the last two the two podcasts so not the last two but um prior to the last one so um really goes into a lot of uh, strategy of improving the habitat and then hunting around that habitat improvement. Yeah, I mean, this is the time frame. Again, like I said, pressure's high, but we look at the biology. I think that's always the default for me. Is like we're hunting situation-wise. Like, okay, well, what are deer doing right now? Yeah. And one, okay, they're, they're in secure cover for two reasons, because that's where the does are, and it's locked down, so a buck's going to be right there with them. And... They're, they're terrified um, of all the pressure that's being put on them. Whether you're in gun season or not, you're in that state. There's still a lot of hunters out there pursuing deer right now. So pressure is up um, in the deer woods, and, and they're already seeking that cover. So we want to be focused in and around hunting that type of good quality bedding secure cover. That's where you're going to find your success. Um whether that's just from years of being a tree stand or trail camera observations, uh, you're going to have the most success in around those areas this type of year. And we're going to break that down into basically a lockdown phase throughout this whole podcast, which is what a lot of people are in or have been experiencing in the last week or so. And it varies across 
you know, the, the Whitetails range when that lockdown phase occurs. But for everyone, you will experience it if you're out there in the woods just hunting hard. So, you ready to jump in? Before we jump in. I'm ready to dive in, actually. Oh, gosh. Um, before we go that, we've got one quick message for you, and then we'll jump right into the podcast. One of the biggest things you've probably picked up with the podcast is the fact that we always talk about long-term lasting habitat techniques, recommendations, things you can do at a property that makes sense for a long-term investment and that complement the native landscape. So it only makes sense to work with Pure Natives, supplier of native seed for your property. They've got it all from bedding cover to wildflower mixes, pollinator mixes, CRP mixes, everything from a wide variety that you can provide for your native species, whether it be in a marshy area or a dry glade, wherever you're at in the country, they probably got something for you. And special to the podcast listeners, when you are placing an order, make sure you mention the Land of Legacy podcast for a 10% discount on all seed varieties. For me, what I find most exciting is anybody who's ever looked at native grass mixes or native species mixes, they probably see a little bit more expensive price tag. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that goes with there are species that are rare or a little bit harder to get that are in those blends, so the price goes up. Working specifically with Pure Air Natives, we've come up with some blends that are very beneficial, but we've placed species in those blends that are a little bit more affordable. So instead of seeing a $400 or $500 an acre price tag, we're looking at stuff under the $150 price range per acre. So It's more important to see more acres devoted to good native habitat than it is to spend all that money. We want to make it affordable and have the good base species and let, let nature take its course and diversity come back into those stands. Absolutely. Check it out, pureairnatives.com. All right, so the lockdown phase. The lockdown phase is just one of those, it's almost like... Uh, it's, a, it's like the, it's the, the October term. lull. I was just going to say, it's the October lull of November. Um, and, and it's funny because, as just like anything else, humans, we want to put names to things. And, and the lockdown phase, I mean, it's a good name. And, it, and I will say, this one, moreover than the October lull, this one happens. Like, this actually is a real thing. And we know it is based on GPS collars and the movement, the study of whitetails, and just, again, the hunter observation. We've all had or seen or heard the stories in deer camp of people talking about a buck being locked down and just doing stupid stuff like, hey, he couldn't bump a a buck off of a doe. They just stood right there and looked at someone, or they're out in the middle of a field. We've seen this, again, in another Kansas. We were going to a... Um, to hunt a stand and out in the middle of this field, we just, I mean, it's a monster field. We saw two deer and sure enough, it was just a buck and a doe. And he just had her pinned out in the middle of this wide open crop field. And they just stayed out there and stayed out there and stayed out there. It's crazy. You see deer do strange things during this time period, but they are so, they're like ADD with does right now. I almost want all over them. Yeah, totally. I, I almost don't want to say this, but I'm, I think that the um, Milo Hansen buck was a deer drive to where it was in like a little old, like a little bitty island of trees. And I can't remember if it was locked down with a doe, but they 
I, I believe they, bumped, they it bumped it out and they shot it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there are so many I stories. I told the podcast uh, a story on the podcast that my uncle he did the same thing. It's in the fence row, opening weekend in Virginia years ago. I was in high school, bumped this seventeen pointer, just incredible deer out of the little island of trees around a pond in the middle, surrounded by crop fields. It's that time of year when you see deer in random places where you're like, what is a deer doing out there? Kansas, it's like way out in the middle. Think about it, how many times driving, when we hunted Kansas the last couple of years, driving back to the hunt house, mm-hmm. we'd be driving through the crop field, and all of a sudden, whoa, slam on the brakes, here's a big buck with a doe, and you're like, he is a long, he's a he's almost an entire section. Um, away from cover. Away from cover, away Just from trees. chasing hard. Well, and that, that honestly, open terrain, if you've never hunted it before, will give you an, a better understanding of the rut. And it's not just because, oh, it's Kansas, it's famed Kansas. It happens in our area, it happens in Virginia, it happens in New York. But just because of the magnitude and the open landscape, you can see the rut more visibly. And just like that, a deer that's so, what we'd say, so far away, I think the section 640 acres, so far away, like, you you're like, my gosh, that deer's traveling so much. And then you see another one out there, and then another one back behind you, and you're like, oh my gosh, the rut is going on crazy. But that's really what's happening across the entire country right now. It's just in certain areas, it's tougher to see. Minus the places where the rut occurs in December or January right. or October. But for most part, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is. 90% of people experience the rut during November. Right. Um, it seems like, anyway. Uh, I would say that's pretty accurate. Um, and, and you just look at how many times you see uh, – people ask, why are bucks – why do they do that? And it's not like – Sometimes it's, they chase that doe all the way, but a little part of, or a part of that too, is they're pushing those does to areas so they're away from other bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and big and, time. And it occurs in timber country as well. You just don't get to see it because you can't see very far. Exactly. It, that, yeah. that was a that's a great point. Like they're pushing them away from other bucks, interfering with him breeding that doe. So that's why they're in these odd, obscure places. They want to put them, seclude them. Often to areas where another buck is just not even going to find them at. Yeah, and yeah, you'll. That's why these giants get killed. Sometimes you're like, that's the most weird. Like that will never happen again. Probably yeah. won't. But yeah. because they're just in odd, odd, odd areas. very odd areas, and like like tree tops. How many times do you see? And I don't know how many times I've heard that story, but guys say, "Oh yeah, and I was walking through the timber and kicked kicked a bu- big old buck and a doe out of treetop." Mm-hmm. It's like. Well, that sounds like that was the ideal cover. Yesterday yeah. it happened, uh, a part of the Prairie Hollow property where I was checking a camera up on a food plot, and it hasn't been logged up there. And it's closed canopy, horrible habitat, Yep. and jumped two deer out of a treetop or um, where we had implemented the permanent forest opening, and some of, we haven't burned that dozer de- those dozer decks yet, and there was two trees that actually had saw logs in them, so they drug those right up to the entrance, and those deer were bedded in those treetops. Yeah. It's like that's they already found like a magnet mm-hmm. or a moth to a flame. They found the best cover possible, yep. and it was happened to be at the edge of a food plant. Yeah, yeah, and best food and cover. I'm here. I'm staying. Yeah, for sure. So... Um, uh, it's an interesting time and it's, uh, it's a frustrating time for a lot of people. 
And it doesn't have to be that way. There can be things that you do, things that you understand about your farm to put the odds in your favor. No, most definitely. And again, this is, it occurs at different time periods and rates based on the herd dynamics within the the area farm region that you're hunting. Um, We'll get into that a little bit, but it's a, it's a very intense time frame of actual breeding. I think a lot of times people don't quite understand that. I guess that there's a bell-shaped curve and like the breeding there's a definite peak in this time frame which most does get bred and this lockdown this period of four five six seven days in a given area is when the bulk majority 60 plus percent get bred in this time period and for a buck what does that mean that means 24 to 36 hours they are locked down with a specific doe because she's in peak estrus where she can be bred and basically have fawns mm-hmm. and she's viable during that window and so a buck when he finds her in peak estrus he ain't leaving he ain't giving that up to go f- find another um or whatever it may be like he is going to stay with her and breed her until she is she gives in basically yeah i mean it, it's that simple if He's found the opportunity. He's waited all year long, so he's not leaving. And, again, that's why it's called lockdown. And that's the important thing <clears throat> to, to remember is while you're hunting, if you're not seeing deer, every every second that you wait, it's a close. you're getting closer to a time frame where a buck's going to get on its feet, if that makes sense. Because they're all, let's say, locked down right then at that point. But the longer you wait, the more you're getting to this 24 to 36 hour period for it to just bust back open. And every buck is, you know, timed differently with their does. But that's why movement is so sporadic. And Absolutely. It's, it's like a roller coaster ride for hunters who are hunting and trying to find success during the lockdown phase because you could go for hours and hours and not see a deer move. And then here comes a buck just burning a doe right past you and there was your opportunity yep and he could go lock down with her for another 24 36 hours or you're gonna see a uh, a single buck just moving quickly and you're yep. like where's he going well he, yep. no chances are he either just left a doe he bred a doe and now he's moving on and trying to find the next doe yeah and that's where finding initially you're trying to find the does and then or you're trying to find the path of travel leading to where the does are yeah and and that's why it's super important leading up to this time period if you're going to hunt during this time period which again like we talked about all these states have just opened up that's why it's really important to understand what are your does doing during that time frame because they're the they're the common denominator in all of this they're the ones that are going to say and dictate where the bucks are going to be so find out what they're doing hunt that pattern but i guarantee you nine times out of ten they're gonna be closely associated with the best cover in a given area so if you if you own that cover if you create that cover you make that cover whatever it is and you hunt it smart leading up to this time frame that is how you're effective in this lockdown phase and again you might be in an area or a farm 
that doesn't have great cover. Maybe your farm is one of those ones where it's a destination food source. And, you know, times of the year, early and late season, you are on deer. Like, you can go out there and hunt, see 20, 30 deer, no problem. This time frame, if you don't have the cover, you're the guy sitting up there twiddling his thumbs thinking, I hate this. I, I hate, hate this. <laughs> I, hate, I, I hate the uh, the lockdown phase. Yeah. I where, hate it. Where, I'm just not seeing the deer. And I have the best food plots in the in the area. Mm-hmm. Why aren't I seeing deer? My cameras tell me they're moving after dark. What's going on? And and for for us, we have chosen not to really hunt this time period this given year because we both tagged bucks earlier on. And we're waiting, honestly, for late season to hunt over the food plots and resources to tell this that story of why we put them there and hopefully encounter some other bucks. But... Right now, and, it would be a super easy decision of where we'd go. And I am days, weeks away from baby being here. So. Oh, yeah, that's important too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't oh, want to. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, we, we put the Stratton beans, the standing Stratton beans, yep. down in a bottom where service is limited. So yep. that's the stupidest thing I could ever do. Yep. Um, Next year, Ridge Top. top. <laughs> well, we tried, but. Um, yeah. You got to eat out of the house at home. Well, we have standing, I guess, to give a quick update, dry, new food plots. Brand new. But it's important for us to, we do have standing beans in those food plots. Oh, yeah, Um, there's some. But we drilled through it because it was more important for us to have greens and have something growing, um, building some organic matter and, and basically covering the soil. So we have a ton of the Stratton Legacy blend in those new food plots. And that's really why we don't have um, a lot of standing beans because we drove over them with the drill. So, well, and, and for the fact that we've got to uh, keep in mind that they, they are Ozark Ridge top food plots. So yeah. rocks are close. Rocks <laughs> and sand are close. So we've got to build up that organic matter. So we're keeping lots of forage on it and drilling and drilling and drilling. So, Really, though, okay, back to the lockdown, it would be no question as, okay, if I'm hunting, I am hunting in one of two places, an area that I can see a long distance in between areas of good cover, where I can hunt with the rifle now because that's where we're at in Missouri season. Or in I would two be, days. So when this releases, that'll be the last day of Missouri rifle season. Yes. Or... I would be hunting over a bedding area, a bedding thicket that I just know is is this is the window. That's the time they're going to do it, and they're going to stay and chase all within that bedding area. Because, again, we talked about it last week or two weeks ago when we talked specifically about creating bedding areas. There's not only cover in there, great cover, but there's also forage. Yep. Especially now with the, all the red oaks. So if they're in the timber in these bedinary thickets, they've got forage in those. They really don't have to leave. And then we've seen that too. To I'm me, sure the, and, and you look at what are the bedinary thickets or what are ideal um, bedding areas, what makes them up, what makes them optimal. And you look at, okay, let's just say timber country. So we're creating these bedding area thickets. We're going to cut trees. We're going to bring in more sunlight because we cut those trees. And we're going to start them in a fire rotation of where we set the stump sprouts back. We have more young forest and then other stump sprouts coming up. So that provides great cover, but also great browse throughout the year. 
Um, and then we have more herbaceous plants coming in because we have so much sunlight. So we have a lot of food during the growing season, which then if it's not browsed early, it's going to be great cover during the fall and winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have um, other grasses and they're providing great cover. Um, native grasses that are hopefully coming up or we decide to plant them um, so we have great cover but then also bringing in more uh, basically it's better habitat for other non-game species as well as other game species so you just create a better habitat that provides much more year-round forage and cover and we we jumped ahead just a little bit probably like we do every single week but that the title of this podcast is, is Five Signs That You're Hunting During Lockdown. And we touched on quite a few of them, but just to get back and review one through five, so we stick with the title, I guess. Uh, number one is that sporadic movement of just deer doing random things at random times. You know, typically, like we experienced when we, when we both killed our bucks, it was like, okay, we're probably going to kill mid-morning, that's when it seems like a lot of the bucks are chasing, pursuing does. That's when most of the deer are on their feet and moving. But now, as as we talk to other hunters who are actively hunting this time period, looking back on, on multiple years of this, and then looking at trail cameras confirming it, deer are kind of all over the place and moving at different times. There's not really a great rhyme or reason to win how they're moving. It's just... When they're on their feet, they're on their feet. And that's why it's such a roller coaster ride for hunters because they don't know. It's inconsistent. And they're just, they're there or they're not there. Yep. And it's, it's frustrating. so sporadic. We always look for patterns to hunt, but this is a time period. If you're not in the right areas, you're not going to be consistently seen deer no, at this certain at time all. period. And the sporadic movement kind of goes with your everything is saying sporadic so you immediately i guess we should save this for the hunting podcast but there's techniques to where you can take sporadic movement and still capitalize on it oh, totally totally yep. buck movement is down um just as because far as they're locked down they're locked down um and if you have an area with high deer numbers they don't have to go very far to find the next doe that was one of the things that we we experienced quite a bit in Kansas. We, we played with kind of, okay, what's the timing in Kansas? Because every area is a little bit different. Again, every property is a little bit different in the herd dynamics and how that affects the rut in a certain given area. And we played with it a couple of years and, and, and put in time, different times in November. And uh, for, for instance, because of the deer numbers that were out there, there's a couple stretches where – even though we were in Kansas in November, we weren't seeing the deer or the buck movements because of we were experiencing lockdown. And the buck movement was down because the opportunity that they had to go and find the next doe was so high. I mean, they yep. were in a, in a buck's mind, they were living in an incredible world of just ladies running all over the place. And it was easy for them to find the next one. And the, the farm we hunted... A majority of that bottom of the timber was pretty open. Yeah. We didn't have the best cover in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Now, Grace Creek was a great little 
Like it, yeah. it held deer. It bottlenecked them down. But nobody really wanted to hunt that one because it was so. The trees were very limited. Yep. Um, it was so steep. And you had to kind of, it was bad access to get to it. Bad access, kind of tough for winds to hunt. And it was one of those places that it, you kind of felt like you were out of the ball game. Mm-hmm. But it, without fail, though, every trail camera pull seemed to reveal, kind of sporadically, though, this just giant that walked through. And you're like, do I want to spend all week hunting this area for like that one buck that just decides to move through here midday or daylight and do it, or do I just want to put in and grind it out elsewhere? That's right. But <clears throat> you could have totally killed there. And and that's what this, this time frame them is characterized as, is bucks, when they do move, they move fast, they move quick. And then those areas that have lots of does, they don't have to move as often. And yeah timing and figuring out your area and your deer herd or changing manipulating that deer herd managing those those does and the buck to doe ratio will alter how you hunt a place and how basically it hunts for you because of the rut and the change that can occur absolutely one of the other ones i think is is very very common that often people see and i don't know if they don't take notice of it but fawns moving by themselves if you are seeing that on a consistent basis, that's a good reminder that, hey, Mama Doe is getting pursued by a buck right now, and she has nudged off her fawns, and they are laying back doing their own thing. So if you see two small deer or a small deer out in the middle of a food plot midday, early afternoon, hanging out, that's probably what's happening. That's a yeah. good sign that, hey – Mom is getting pursued. She is in estrus. She is locked down with a buck. But that should, I guess, give you indications of what's occurring with the rest of the herd, too. That's right. And and to me, that is most often the one that I look for the most or the one that mm-hmm. catches my eye the most is like I, I we monitor the trail camera images that are yeah. coming in through the Cuddy Link cell camera. And it's like, okay. All uh, th- this food plot and that food plot, a lot of fawns are coming into it by themselves. Yep. Right now, those two deer I mentioned earlier bedded in the treetop. Yeah. They were fawns. Mm-hmm. Where's mama at? She was nowhere around them, and they were hanging very close to the food plot, which is another indicator. Like, if you go to a food plot or you're checking a camera and you jump some fawns that were bedded right at the edge, you're like, what's okay? This is it's mid November. They're most likely we're in the lockdown phase. Mama ain't around them. Yep. And uh, and it's just another thing to note about that, too, though, is if your trail camera images tell you that, okay, there's fawns on that food plot, there's fawns regularly coming into that food plot, they are doe fawns, I need to remember that mm. for December. Mm. Big time. And, big, big time. And, and only reason for that is the second rut, uh, second rut quote um, that people refer to is, is you is oftentimes or is either a doe that hasn't she didn't get bred the first cycle 28 days later she cycles again becomes receptive and she's getting chased by bucks sometime in mid december early december late december whenever the peak rut is if she didn't get bred she's going to cycle again 28 days later or a fawn reaches sexual maturity and becomes receptive basically mm-hmm. um to where she can reproduce and so that oftentimes it's right around 60 pounds and they hit that if the habitat is in place to where they can reach that weight by December. Um, 
And and so that's what you see a lot of, to me, my personal experience, I've seen more second rut chasing on fawns than I have adult does. And so the fawns being um, of that naive stage become receptive. And that's a whole other podcast you'll hear us about in December. Oh, yeah. That's really something to note. During the lockdown phase, you're seeing a lot of fawns, and they're hitting certain food plots. Remember those fawns because if they reach the weight and you know you have adequate habitat, then there's a good chance yeah, you're going to you, experience some activity. If you don't tag your hit lister in November, that's a great time and to be hunting him and pursuing that's him That's exactly why fawns. we're not hunting right now. Yeah, exactly. Saving the pressure and trying to get them uh, December. That's it. Another one, number four, to take notice on is when you do see doe movement, you often see them in a very, they're like high strung, very cautious movements. They're always looking over the shoulder or kind of walking with their shoulders almost hunched like tiptoeing around the woods and just being cautious, very alert um, because they're so used to getting pursued and they are... um, just because they've been bred once does not mean they won't be bred again. Yeah. And oftentimes, I don't remember the exact percentage. I want to say it's about 30% of twins have different fathers. Hmm. So just because she's in that window. Fathers. What is that? <laughs> Nothing. Oh. It's just weird to think about it. A deer oh, having a, yeah. a father. Father. Yeah. The, the non-existent, the father. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, never mind. So... They, within that 24 to 36 hours, they can be bred by multiple bucks. Yeah. And, and so just because, it, you know, they might move on from another one, whatever, they can still be actively and will be actively pursued by other deer. So they're always, or they're typically in a lockdown phase, this this time frame, very cautious in the way they're walking, and, approaching, where they're going, and how they're getting and there. And it could be random. Like, you could see a doe out by herself midday or yes. moving midday, and you're yes. like, what in the world? Why is she doing And And it yes. could be the fact that Buck turned his head or Buck is, well, just two days ago, driving down the road, a friend of mine was with me. He goes, look at that. There's a deer right there. And it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. She was out bounding up a, a gnarly nasty little ditch and you're Mm. like i know there's a buck coming but we got to go down the road so you could see sporadic movement from those does moving midday as well by themselves looking very skittish you know you think about kansas how many times do we see does in that bottom very skittish oh yeah like where they almost it was like almost a predator was hunting them down Mm -hmm. which really they were so skittish because it was another buck trying to find them yep yep they knew what was pursuing them, but they just were tired of it. That's right. So number five. Number five is deer in random areas. Again, we, we touched on this earlier, but it's definitely an identifiable um, sign, yes. a very visible sign that, okay, it is potentially a lockdown phase. And, and we're talking areas that are close to parking lots, close to human interaction, or ones that or way out in the middle of a field and there's a small little woodlot or just a, a small irrigation ditch um, that, that would never be cover for the rest of the year, but a buck has just pushed her, secluded her off into a specific area, and and basically he's tending her, and he's not letting anybody else take her away, hog her, and so he's pushed her out into these 
strange little places. Sometimes it's fence rows and in between pasture fields um, or these small wood, again, wood lots and, and ditches. You never know where you can find, find one. So I always like to be careful, obviously, when you're still hunting through the timber, but don't forget about these odd, strange areas that can and will hold deer during this specific time. So if you're seeing deer in strange places, random, out in the middle of nowhere, likely lockdown phase is, is either happening or you're on either side of it. And, and, and you're close to peak esters, peak breeding season for, for whitetails. Yeah, or edge of a crop field, edge of a pasture field, and you're like, why are they right here on the edge? Mm-hmm. They should be finding the thickest stuff. Sometimes because of the edge effect, yep. the edge of the timber um, in places with poor habitat and poor um, basically early secession or young forest or shrubs, um, because they are so poor and there's not as much sunlight, that occurs on the edge of a pasture, edge of a crop field, and like that's I, where they're... I think of like the, the poorly managed cattle pasture that's got some a little grove of cedars here that backs up to a blackberry patch that hasn't been sprayed or cedars been cut out. Yep. She gets pushed and nudged up in that, and you drive by. The farmer drives by, and the... the he bumps them out of there. And like, what? No, I've never seen deer there before in my life. Yeah. Well, that was it. pretty good. You like that? <laughs> I'm actually uh, an old-time farmer in training. <laughs> what was that I video? cannot wait to be an old guy. Yeah. What I was really that, can't. That, what was that old... Uh... The video of the of the young guy pretending to be the old farmer, and he's walking with that, you know, like he had oh. a pillow under his shirt, and he's yes. like, yeah, that I've got to feed time. the cubes every yeah. morning, and he's like dragging Bring it out there, yeah. throwing it up in the back. <laughs> Golly, yeah. I don't remember what that was. I mean, I don't remember the title of it or who put it on, but that was, that was funny. I can't wait. To, I mean, imagine the day when you just get up, and all you do is drink coffee at the diner and talk about the weather. Yeah. That's it. Griped about like. politics. That's it, and yeah. can't wait to go hunting or the next fishing trip. Yeah, I always. I mean, I, when I think I don't of old farmers too. The the thing, and and if one of these days I'd like to do a podcast where we ask people when we're interviewing them, like, all right, how do you call the cows? Yeah, because everybody has something so random. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to blast people's ears away, but we could go through I don't know three or four different types of calls that we've heard, and but man, it's it's I can't wait. I don't want to like miss out obviously on like the middle portion of life and family and kids and stuff but really i'm i'm truly looking forward to being uh an old fart <laughs> i can't wait and i want to drive like an old like a f-150 square body and just putts around town and you'll be driving what's popular right now i mean yeah but for me like that's that's my mentality yeah like just old that flatbed rusted fenders yep yeah. Headlights on the floorboard. I can't wait. So, that rabbit trail got me all sorts oh, of... Oh, yeah. Back to lockdown. What I habitat forgot. do you hunt <laughs> before... Or what? So, what kind of habitat do you hunt during the lockdown phase? Or what occurs... What is around your farm or on your farm that you should be hunting to try and capitalize even during a difficult time of hunting season, which is the lockdown phase? To me... And, and I should come to at no shock to people because we talk so much about November is not the food source season um, for the majority. Now, there's times where you want to hunt close to food because deer, 
the peak rut's just over, and they're trying to build calories back up. But, and you will see deer on those food sources, but we're focusing on hitless buck, mature deer, um, even three-and-a-half-year-old deer. What are we wanting to hunt to be successful? And it comes down to cover. That's um, cover is like one of those like, things. Gosh, guys, cover it. again? Four yes. weeks and you've been talking about <laughs> yeah. cover. Hopefully that's going to get the point across. <laughs> yeah. So if I see one more social media post of you hunting over a daggum agricultural field right now that's been picked clean, oh, you're yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get out of your stand and go go hunt somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, or it's sitting over food pots like – well, it's just a, I saw one tonight. Well, tonight's observation was only this doe fawn. Well, duh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah, there's another phrase that came to mind. I was almost said <laughs> I did not, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, duh. That's what. Yeah. You, you dummy. Yeah. I mean, and it, it can be, again, we put in a lot of work. Um, or, or I guess, and we do. We all include ourselves in this. But oftentimes, a lot of the habitat work that goes on revolves around food plots. And then by default, you want to kill deer over your food plot. And then by default, you always pick stands that are hunting over your food plot to achieve your goal. But let's let's go back to the beginning. If you value cover as much as you value food plots, you'll put in more or spend more time doing habitat work over cover, which then you'll want to hunt and kill deer over cover. And then so now you're looking and saying, when, what do I hunt? Oh, I'm going to value my, my cover that I created and have great places to hunt during this time frame and kill deer over instead of the food plot. And it goes if back you to the work beginning. on, if you focus and you're like, okay, I spend so much time on my food plot this year, Instead of going and looking at the food plot, break and that chair before you're done with this yeah. face. <laughs> beating on the I watched thing. the office when when Dwight was giving a speech, and you got to pound the desk and you got to wave your arms. Um, this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. <laughs> All the time we devote to food plots, and then we kind of whatever. I don't know what we do spending our time, but if we take a little bit of the time that we devote to the food plots, yeah out of the total amount of time, and we devote it to improving cover, not only are we improving our hunting success and improving our landscape for, here's the big part, and this is why I love it so much, is it's not only improving it for your hunting, but it's improving it for so many other species um, that are lacking that that cover mm-hmm. effect, uh, especially in timber country, especially in crop ground, whenever you, for instance, southern Iowa has poor habitat outside of the crops. Because of the encroachment of smooth brome grasses and eastern red cedar and all the other, I mean, if you want to s- debate me on this, let's just say let's take a ride. What let's take are a trip. what are the most dominant uh, species outside of the crop ground? Mm-hmm. And southern Iowa is just littered with tall fescue, mainly smooth brome yep. and eastern red cedar, and shagbark hickory. Yep, I mean all unmanaged for the most part. Yes, and, and there's. There's no arguing that when you go up there, um, but it still produces incredible deer, and, and that's the, that's the tough thing, honestly, of, of communicating some of that to those folks who do have the privilege to be able to hunt there consistently. A lot of areas don't have adequate cover, 
or or proper cover that that area could so easily have though it you know what i mean like it's so easy to get in that area the proper type of cover in various ways and that's what's a little bit frustrating it's like you don't even know what you got there yeah and it's and it's like just trust us yeah. promise you implement if, this and you it will change your property and that's Up, what's I mean, scary upside down. there's giants killed in southern iowa every single year every year and the habitat is poor for the most part. What mm-hmm. happens if they change the habitat and make it optimal habitat? Are those 200s, 250s? Are those 200s, 230s? Are there more than just one 200-inch buck on that farm? What is it? We don't know. And hopefully there's somebody who's... inch typical deer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it. I think there's a, a huge potential there. I think, but. yeah, there, there, de- there definitely is. Um, if people are getting on board in, you know, I'm, imagine just co-ops of these places and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. Before we get into a great story of a buck lockdown that we both experienced last year in Kansas, we do have one more break for you. Adam, what's one of the biggest complications, frustrating things dealing with trail camera images during hunting season? Organization, 100%. We're so focused on trying to get to the stand. When we're going to get to the stand, that entering our images sometimes gets put on the back burner. There's flash drives. There's SD cards laying all over your desk. And it's simple just to plug them into a software program that organizes it for us. And then one step further tells us everything we probably overlooked whether there's a pattern for a buck moving during a certain wind, during a moon phase, then even telling us the core area with their heat maps, heat map options. Yeah, it's just a system to keep us organized, but more importantly, let us know the details that we overlook. And the magic comes when you use this system for multiple years, and you're building stories and strategy for individual specific bucks, and you use past data to actively pursue deer this year that's hands down my favorite portion about building deer a lab. Buck profile it's incredible so do yourself a favor go to deerlab.com forward slash land for the opportunity to get a 30-day free trial do yourself the favor check it out learn the software become better at analyzing your trail camera images all right so we're looking at kansas and we're talking yes. cover and we're trying to figure out what really how to recreate what we're what we're seeing and yep. we t- we've told this story betting thickets this is kind of what where that came from for us um but really when we're understanding lockdown there was so much to learn about a lot of those observations yeah and what we were seeing okay we saw the correlation the magnet effect of does to cover but also what else occurred with that so one in one instance was because of that cover that these large cottonwoods, mulberries, when the when the tops would fall out of these trees, like I said, it was a magnet for does to find that cover. Obviously, we we then observed as we hunted the rut in pre-rut phase, uh, lockdown phase, and post-rut, we saw bucks respond to these areas differently um, because of what they do during those time frames and. As we're talking about lockdown, it reminds us of one particular um, day we had in the stand as we went across the river and worked our way to the stand. We got to 
the base of the stand. I, I I don't know if we heard anything right as we got to the base, but yes, I started my we way. did. <coughs> we did. Yeah. I'm thinking back now. We did. We saw them on the ground, and you snuck up and got in the tree, and then they stood up and moved towards us. That's right. Yep. So in that time frame, yeah, because I had to pause going, like I was climbing in the stand and had like one leg on the base uh, on the platform, one leg on the sticks, and I was like, oh gosh, I cannot move. And like I said, we don't wear all of our clothes in. So I know you had a, a black thermal uh, like pullover, just that's what you were wearing. That, I that's had to change. I remember you were up in the tree trying to get the camera rolling, yep. and I was down on the ground trying to Cause there was a little bit get of a little camo on. Ledge, yeah, that you snuck behind and tried to get camo cover on there's no way you were climbing up and then getting your bow up because these deer were 60 yards at most um but what had happened was a doe had come in and bedded down next to one of these tops and there was a great great deer um i i mean no no question asked shooter and he was absolutely 100 percent um to the term to the phrase locked down with this doe and he was not leaving. He was not moving. And <clears throat> what we experienced as we're filming and trying to make this thing happen is because of this aggression that this buck and, and this dominance that he had over this doe, really the only hope <clears throat> was to, to either have her get up and move our direction or piss him off enough that he kind of left her just out of sight came to investigate or potentially run off another buck because I think there was, and there ended up being two bucks, but one in particular came from like the North. He ran off, <clears throat> which actually allowed me to get in the stand. He came quickly right back to the doe. And so I'm in the stand filming all this. And then we saw that aggression. He snort wheezed at that deer and got him gone. And then once you were fully camoed up and you had an arrow knocked I think you were able to get your rangefinder out and everything. Um, actually tried grunting at this deer and got him back on his feet after you had bedded back down with the doe. And he actually started to come in. I don't think he ever got into range, never no. offered a shot. But He only moved less, probably less than 10 yards. But yeah. he did stand up and take a few steps because he was trying to figure out the source of that grunt. Never saw anything and so then didn't pursue. But that was the only shot that we had until another buck – from basically our due west started coming in. He was scent checking this area. There's multiple treetops. And on his way in, this other buck heard him or saw him. He gets up and doesn't full-on pursue. But the buck that was on its way in, kind of scent checking, cruising, ended up being another strong candidate for, for a shooter buck. And Adam's still on the ground and had to communicate from 20 foot away, all the way up top. Adam, there's another deer coming in. And he loops around. And unfortunately, um, with being on the ground and pretty wide open timber, did he spot us or when do you? He, he kept trying to spot us. Yeah. But then he ended up going downwind. And, and unfortunately, that was, that was not that much game. you can do. Um, so from that point on, I think that the, the buck that was locked down with the doe initially, he never – pursued and, and closed his his distance as that other buck made his made, made his way in but uh the doe eventually got up and they headed kind of straight away but it was just a incredibly visual uh example for us of lockdown and w the way those deer used the cover and the way we tried to you know other deer other bucks tried to use that same 
type of cover to find more receptive does. It was light bulbs for us that, hey, you know, this is exactly what we need to create. This is exactly what lockdown is. Other bucks pushing them into these areas of, of thicker cover and basically fending or warding off other bucks. And, uh, it, I mean, it would have made it for an incredible story if you'd gotten an arrow in that deer because, one, he was a giant. Two, it would have just been an awesome, awesome hunt to have basically footage from the tree stand, but the arrow actually come from the ground. Absolutely, yep. But it was just, again, an incredible illustration of lockdown phase in its entirety and the way deer use cover this time of year. Yep. No, no place else I'd rather hunt than cover during a lockdown phase. I, I, th- I think in t- it's 2018, November 18th, if we want to get specific Ooh, about 11, it. 18, 18. But how many people think of all your friends, all your buddies, all the people you know, how many hunters devote time to food plots? Yeah. Bait, whether oh. it's it could be legal in your area, in your state. So... Um, how many of your friends are putting out feeders and putting out mm-hmm. corn? How many people are planting food plots multiple times a year? But then think of how many guys are trying to improve cover and make better cover on that farm, on their hunting place. Mm-hmm. I, I would say hopefully there's a light bulb moment there of, okay, there is a definite difference. And then you're always trying to think of ways that you can improve the farm um, differently and have something that's different in the landscape. What the what is the limited resource? And food is limited in a time of the year. Often, oftentimes, with um, you have high deer numbers, so the, you, it's hard to plant food plots. Food is limited, but cover adequate cover is hugely limited across the landscape mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, so it's, then it's, you look it's at... It's an afterthought for most, most hunters or managers, and it needs to be a forethought, in it, my opinion. Because cover is oftentimes naturally occurring cover. M- much more easily, yeah. yeah. Um, so th- we're hunting cover. We're looking for cover. We're trying to improve cover. Herd management, another thing to improve on to um, successfully hunt the lockdown phase. Yes. Balance ratio, buck to doe numbers. Um, if you're looking at four does to one buck, once again, he doesn't have to travel very far to find a doe. If you're looking at a lot more does than a buck, let's say it's six to one, that most of the time that that's a huge number. But if it's just even four to one, you're looking at four does to one buck. That's cr- that's like a dude going to college at an all-girls school. Woo, woo. Yeah, and so a more balanced herd means deer have to find does. They have to search harder. They have to look harder. They have to travel further to find a doe that hasn't been bred because if it's, let's just say, ideal one-to-one, you're looking at one buck with one doe. Here's another buck. He's got a doe, and it's much more balanced to where the hunting, the rut is more intense. Calling is more intense. Mm-hmm. Deer have to travel more. It Overall, it improves the health, so there's less uh, chance of disease just because of what we know with um, wildlife numbers that um, an explosion of a, of a herd can oftentimes open up the can of disease potential. So um, as unscientific just- as that sounds... Uh, that's really what we're or looking just at. Habitat so, uh, destruction. Honestly, habitat destruction. Uh, I think we just read a uh, article on that the other day. Um, I don't think it was you and I talking about it. It was actually brother and I. 
Um, so there's just more searching and more intense rut. So making sure we're on top of our herd numbers. So we're harvesting does. We're keeping an eye out and saying, okay, there are doe numbers. Um, and, and it looks like we are balanced. And, 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 and I'll say it. There's a lot of people that really hate EHD. It's yeah. like a huge fear. But there have been times where I've seen EHD, a landowner is unable to capitalize and harvest an appropriate amount of deer that a horrible EHD breakout came out or came. And after that, the landowner was, much, was able to get on top of his herd, his herd balance, herd ratio better because of nature really helping out. Now, I don't wish that upon anybody, but... Um, that is something that will happen if herd numbers The door explode. was opened up because of the lack of management prior to EHD. It opened up for basically a, a broader, um, less specific way of managing the herd and then allowed him to kind of get on top and, yes. and basically expedite the process of balancing that buck-to-doe ratio. So we're looking at how can we look at lockdown and say, let's improve this for – let's imp- Let's improve the habitat so lockdown is not as big of an issue. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't want you know people to be feared away from hunting the lockdown. Again, the the whole purpose of, of why we do the podcast, why we go to properties and travel and consult, is to make it successful to hunt and improve the improve the habitat so it's successful to hunt every single time that you go out. So we want to set up a property and have opportunities for people to hunt successfully during the lockdown phase. Again, it's all, it's all a balance, but specifically during gun season, firearm season, like we're seeing open up throughout oh, this. You're going to give away a hunting profile, a hunting, a profile? A hunting technique. I mean, Oh, I was going to just say that? that for a hunting techniques. Well, we can do that. To uh, me, when you look at it from a habitat standpoint and you're like, how can I improve my farm to be more successful during lockdown. Well, we just told you a second ago, cover. Cover being one of those things to add. How can you add cover to your farm? We've said this before, but we're going to say it again. That sounds like a song, isn't it? I think it is a song. Say I it said again, it before, and I'm going to say it again. I like how, I don't know, whenever we turn in, whenever we, when sing, we sing on the podcast. When we sing, we turn into the old country folk. Kind of a little bit of bluegrass. Yeah. I try to throw that in there. Now say it again. Say it again. I no, don't know. I, Did that, that accomplish that, it? No. Oh, man. I'll try that again next time. That got real weird. <laughs> um, so, CRP. How many times do you hear a guy hunting, like, CRP? It seems like CRP is not as popular any, as it was in the early 2000s, late 2000? 90s. 2000, like, 12. It seemed like CRP everybody's like, like, oh, I'm hunting CRP fields. I'm hunting a big old CRP uh, field. What else would I be hunting? And that is because that often you can see that as one of your uh, best cover sources in the area if you do have CRP good CRP not encroached by a bunch of non-native cool season grasses um, prairies oh man prairies and plum thickets Ooh, yeah. what better place is there little wooded draws these little shrubby draws incredible great open views but you have cover in the form of the native grasses and the shrubs and plump thickets, dogwoods, gray dogwoods, incredible. Then you look at bedding thickets once again. Overall, because we've got five minutes left and we have clear to do cuts our too. clear in, cuts. In timber ground. 
Uh, we've got our bedding thickets, clear cuts, all that stuff. We've got five minutes left, and we got our plant profiles and yep. animal profiles. So you did one. You put one on me um, on this tree profile that I was a little bit. I'm a, I'm a little bit like, ooh, I can remember. This is a good one for me because I can remember a time in my Are life. Are you taking my plant profile? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, there because we have areas of these trees on yeah. my farm that we've had to TSI right because they wore they had taken over a certain area mm-hmm. um, and which can happen with almost any type of oh, tree yeah. species yeah you you have to be on top of it but I'll go ahead and let you uh, I'll I'll add to it because you know yeah. me I've got a book on a, this one so um, the plant profile is the black gum and it is obviously a tree um, the Native Americans used to call it tupelo. Uh, it has elliptical leaves, dark green, glossy. It's one of the first trees every single year to start changing colors. You usually get like a deep red, maroonish. Um, they prefer full sun, grow 40 to 60 feet tall. And limbs are most visible during wintertime. They have horizontal appearances. So they kind of come straight out horizontal off the main trunk. Um, why is it important into habitat wildlife what is it even why black gums have an abundant and varied food source for wildlife fruits are eaten by rough grouse bobwhites wild turkeys wood ducks and 30 species of songbirds several squirrels rodents gray foxes possums raccoons coyotes black bears and even white-tailed deer and then the bark is eaten by beavers so all that being said there's a ton of forage just in the fruit, but how do we manage it? And one of the other things is in areas of TSI, just like Adam was talking about and can probably share specifically on their property, when you're doing TSI and you have black gums, you should be selecting some to, to leave standing because you want the mast production, the fruits to still be there for all those species to have food, but then the deer browse the lush sprouts of the seedlings. So if you take the less or the inferior trees of the black gums within woods, wooded stands, allow the, the best trees to remain and produce that fruit, and then take a chainsaw, cut the trees, don't treat the stumps, then you have an incredible amount of deer browse in the form of re-sprouts, and you truly understand the interrelations of all these species wildlife and plants working together just one species of trees and plants can create so much forage for so many different types of animals i think it's incredible i'm going to add a couple things um generally crude protein of the leaves 12 to 14 percent with a low 20 percent acid detergent fiber so it's very digestible um and it's a preferred species when it comes to browse you know everyone i guess probably would consider the the soybean protein packed you know upper 20s close to 30 percent crude protein but for native habitat that's something just naturally occurring 12 to 14 percent meets most of the demands for bucks does and fawns 12 to 14% can do that. And again, this is just one species that if it's managed correctly, there's opportunities for way more diverse species um, to grow back in the places. So 12 to 14% is not bad 
understand that uh, it has such, I guess, an attraction to so many different animals. And we look at trees, and I think we're just like, oh, that's a tree. That's a tree. I could hunt that. That's a tree. But when we really try to understand just a, a random black gum tree in the woods, you know, it has a bigger impact than, than us just walking by it and just identifying it as a black gum. You know, it, it's life cycle, what it does produces far more than what we see as we just walk on by. You know what I mean? Yeah. A couple things key about a black gum, of course, also, as you mentioned it, but its other name, common name, is black tupelo. Um, and I, there's so much you can find online, but I love a, a good ID book. And the best one I found for field field guide to trees in North America is from the National Wildlife Re- uh, Federation. Check it out. But So I'm looking through the black tupelo or the black gum. Range from very southern Maine to Texas and Florida to Wisconsin um, and in southern Missouri. So huge range. Another key thing you didn't mention was a, a lot of times black gums, as they mature, the center starts to mm. die out. So yep. they're, a, they're a big-time cavity tree cavity where um, cavity nesting tr- uh, animals and birds use black gums so much. Um, and then also another kind of cool thing, black Tupelo, since they can grow uh, and a lot of times grow in swampy areas, they actually have upright, they can have upright roots known as knees, mm-hmm. like the cypress. Like a cypress. So, really cool species, and it's one of those that I used to hate because I didn't know any better, um, but then you understand the the key parts of why those trees are there. Me, and I can't believe, I'm going to have to apologize. I've been sitting through this whole podcast just very much ready for my profile because I can't believe I haven't covered it yet. Oh. Um, and it, and the reason for this is because it is so overlooked because there is another species that takes all the stinking credit and that species isn't even native. That's what blows my mind. Oh, for real? And so... We're talking, and there's tons of them, and so I'm really going to clump them together and call this week's animal profile the solitary bee. Um, there's different types of solitary bees. There's there's really um, thousands, I think over 4,000 species of solitary bees that are native to North America. Um, there's mason bees. There's leafcutter bees. There are uh, carpenter bees. Um, and so there's a long list of all kinds of native solitary bees. Now, solitary bees don't actually, um, they don't nest together. They don't hive up together, um, like the honeybee. And so honeybee, that's the one that takes all the credit. Mm -hmm. When people say pollination, they, everybody thinks honeybees. Honeybees are actually native to Europe. Um, they were brought over here, um, during the 1600s with English settlers and uh, Native Americans used to note that when they found a wild colony of honeybees, the new white settlers were not far behind. Um, Interesting. Thomas Jefferson actually called honeybees white man's flies. Uh, huh. So the solitary bee. What is crucial about the solitary bee is they actually do way more pollination than a honeybee. And solitary bees. Here's one that you probably have seen. The carpenter yep. solitary bee that looks like a bumblebee, but it's got a shiny black abdomen, yep. um, and it and it probably 
buries holes or cuts holes in your deck and everybody's like porches it, those bees are dig (laughs) i even had this conversation with my mother last year that she was like those carpenter bees are back what can i do to get rid of them and i'm like just let them be like let the bee be they do that they they put a hole in and you would not be i almost got my blood boiling um reading solitary bee stuff because there's mm-hmm. I was finding more sites where it was talking about how to control solitary bees such as the carpenter bees versus what what herbicide or what pesticides yeah. to use what to do to eliminate them and and different traps that people are making to catch these bees and kill them Trap and I'm them. like what is wrong with people only the males males can't even sting the female can sting yeah um but they they're really docile sometimes they'll kind of fly around and buzz you but they're not a real aggressive bee and they do way more pollination than a honeybee but just because the honeybee a non-native makes honey therefore he gets all the credit and he doesn't yeah. do as much pollination so solitary bees visit between 20,000 to 100,000 blossoms per day. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of pollination, right? Um, comparing that to 50 to 1,000 blossoms that a single honeybee will visit makes them 30 to 115% more efficient pollinators than honeybees. That's weak sauce, honeybee. You better get with the program. That's crazy. And I, I, Mason Bees, uh, this is a site where they're selling, they sell these um, solitary bees. And so, like, when you think, if if I'm a crop farmer and I'm like, I want to improve the pollination on my crop so I have higher yields, are you going to go buy honeybees or are you going to go buy solitary bees? Mm -hmm. I'm buying solitary bees because they're much better workers. Yeah. And and there's certain, just Google solitary bee hives or solitary bee. houses and there's all kinds of things you can do there's some that are uh there's bees that basically are leaf cutter bees or there's different types of bees to where they they nest in like tubes or hollow things and so right. they'll like take clay and stuff it full um, stuff the end and, and bury inside of it and so solitary bee there's a long list there's thousands of them but let's just put them all together and say solitary bees are legit and they're Way better than honeybees. They're strong. So that's strong my plant tender. profile. Cool. Um, yeah. There's, I mean, another thing, since there are thousands of them, um, if you're trying to manage for solitary bees, I'm turning this back into how why a whitetail hunter should care about a solitary bee. If you're trying to manage for better deer, you want diversity because that is key. Diversity brings in a diversity of insects. Diversity of insects, hopefully as in solitary bees, improves the yield of fruit trees native species persimmons all kinds of black um, gum black gums all kinds of trees need pollination and uh, uh trees flowers pretty much everything that we do is responsible for uh is responsible or happens because of pollination so more solitary bees you have increase yield yeah that's cool that's cool. couple things before we close out. If you have any questions, comments, email us at info at landlegacy.tv. And a quick reminder, we are starting to really kind of book up um, January and February for consulting. So if you guys are interested, um, have friends or family, um, or a great Christmas gift, get them a consulting trip. Book it. Um we do have some dates and all left in so, December. Yeah, we in had December. last year. It kind of happened where it was like, okay, January one, we're going to start consulting. But 
all of a sudden, boom, boom, we were busy in December. So yeah. if you guys are having a pitiful deer season and you want to change that, <laughs> call us, email us at info at and we'll be glad to help you. Absolutely. Emails, get us on the books. We will see you next time. Hopefully the, the uh, old lockdown isn't so terrible next year for That's you. That's right. If you're having a tough lockdown, hopefully we give you the keys That's right. to unlock it. Oh, nice. Was that good? I, yeah, honestly, I we just, better close it off before we get any right. more corny. We'll see, see you guys next time. Yeah.